You're listening to the Sewing and Grown podcast and radio show with Jay and Jay. We welcome you today for the Sewing and Growing podcast. I wanted to sound like Walter Cronkite. <laughs> I wasn't alive. Is he you still? were not arrived. Well, uh, you weren't arrived. I alive. hadn't arrived into this earth yet when no. Walter Cronkite was out. Best journalist to ever to ever live. He's deceased, is he not? <sighs> Someone older speak. than me is going to tell tell us that. I think he is. I think he is. Should I Google it really quick? Um, while you're sure. talking, I just always want to sound presentable when I do these podcasts. So I thought it'd be fun to enter uh, the podcast in that way and have a little bit of flair of blast from the past. He passed away when I was a senior in high school, two thousand and nine. Two thousand and nine. Well. Walter Cronkite, worthy or not, we do welcome you to this week's podcast. And we've been wanting to do this for a while, this podcast, because it's something we've both uh, gone down this road before of reversing absolutes. And I I thought you referenced it a couple weeks. I thought you were going to mention it when you talked about Coke Zero, because you said you didn't really used to do the aspartame you talked about. But now him and I have been just going through Coke Zero. We're we're on the Coke Zero train. which. Still, I don't think it's super healthy. Zero for us. Express. Yeah, I mean, if I were to drink, you know, twenty cans a day, I might see some adverse health effects. But you know, I'm about a can a day. What right do you now. actually just do the work week? I don't drink Coke Zero on the weekend. That's true. Neither do I. Mm-hmm. But so, the work week. Yeah, I drink maybe one or two <laughs> a day. <laughs> and what he's talking about with the twenty cans a day is the test that they did on aspartame. Yeah. We're done in very high quantities to mice. Yes. And if you were to translate what they did to mice, to us, to us it would be about 20 cans, Maybe if not more. more. I'm just throwing out an arbitrary number. Of soda. Yeah. And when they've done smaller amounts of aspartame, really, it didn't, it's a it negligible didn't affect, effect. Is that people. enough proof to just totally validate why I drink Coke Zero? I don't know. Maybe. Um, it helps us feel better. But yeah, it helps me feel better. So, but we just talked about take emotions. That. Yeah. So I don't know where we're going. Will we're you talking please get about us reversing going. absolutes? Reversing so when absolutes. We, when we first talked about um, uh, topics on wh- on what we wanted to include in this podcast, this is one that came up because, like John had just mentioned, this is something that we both have struggled with, and it's a very interesting topic to both of us. And um, we're going to dive into it this week, and you know, we're going to um, reference some site site psychology aspects of it and we both kind of really enjoy that the study of psychology i don't know if i would have been a psychologist if i'm not doing what i would do now but it is something that is very intriguing to me and so we kind of figure out how the human brain works and how it correlates with our spiritual lives you know they work together and so when you have a good understanding of both um you can be successful in life totally agree so um reversing absolutes um let's just dive let's dive right into this so I used to be, sometimes I still have these tendencies. I'm working very hard on it. Um, I used to be an absolutist, right? Sometimes uh, 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 we get into this um, rut of using absolute statements. Um, so an, uh, so the theory of, it's not really a theory, but the idea of absolutism um, refers to ideas, phrases, words that denote totality, either in magnitude or probability. So absolutists, um, their thoughts really overlook the complexity and the nuance of any given subject, right? Life is complex, um, but an absolutist um, really looks at it very um, binary, 
um, which if you don't know what binary is, it's just ones and zeros. It's just two things. Right. So it's either one thing or the other. Off on. Right. Yep. So you might be an absolutist if your primary words in your vocabulary includes words like never and always or completely. And let me just give you a disclaimer right now. I will probably use absolute statements unknowingly in this podcast. John might as well. And I have in previous podcasts. So I apologize if you're listening. You'd never do that, man. You, (laughs) I always do that. These two absolute statements right there. So um, we're going to talk about um, this this idea and why really um, we need to break out of living life by absolute statements. Right? There's a good word phrase from uh, Star Wars: "Only a Sith deals in absolutes." If you're a Star Wars fan, you understand what I'm talking about. I don't want to be so. One big problem with absolute statements is that they're impossible to prove. <laughs> and the only thing needed to void a statement like that is one single exception. For for example, I could say, hey, no one likes Mel Gibson's Apocalypto. Okay? It's impossible. First of all, it's impossible for me to survey every single person in the world that has access to a TV. And really, the, the person sitting across from me right now. Go there is dismantling my argument because he does like Mel Gibson's 2006 Apocalypto. Yeah, Apocalypto is an amazing depiction and representation of probably what was going on in the Aztec Mayan culture of the day. (laughs) Right. So it just it's hard to prove. Like I said, I can't survey everybody. And one exception dismantles the whole thing. Um, Or I could say, hey, everybody loves You Can Go Your Own Way by Fleetwood Mac, which I do have to say this, that it has the potential to be an absolute. If there was a way I could transmit (laughs) that song to every man, woman, and child, I think they might like it. It just makes me want to sing it. You You can can go your own way. And my head just, go your own way. I mean, come on. Come on. But again, that's an absolute statement. I can't say everybody likes Fleetwood Mac in that song. Um, You know what? You might be saying those are two examples that really have no consequences. Yeah, you would probably be right. But when you use that in your everyday vernacular, you start developing habits of forming absolute statements about much bigger things in life that really do matter. So let's talk about this a little bit more. There's generally two forms of absolutism, right? There's categorical imperatives and there are dichotomous thinking. So categorical imperatives are completely rigid demands that people place on themselves and others. I'll give you a very lighthearted example of a categorical imperative. Um, and this one really has no consequence, but it's just, if you were to read this, you would understand what a categorical imperative is. It would say, hey, if you want to cure your thirst, then you must drink water, right? It's a categorical imperative. Really, that's not really um, placing a really rigid demand that's kind of you know, hard to deal with. That's just a really simple example. Dichotomist thinking is also referred to as black and white or an all or nothing type of thinking. Again, is what I talked about. It describes a binary outlook, ones and zeros, this or that, and nothing in between. So as human beings, we tend to operate mainly in this dichotomist type of thinking. So there's a term used for people who always think in absolutes, and it's the term coined a cognitive miser. And if you've ever heard of just a miser in general, a miser is someone who hoards a lot of money and wealth. You don't want to be a miser. Scrooge McDuck was a miser, right? He actually had a pool 
<laughs> full of gold coins that he would swim in. Um, but a cognitive miser, this was a term first introduced by two psychologists, American psychologists. Their names were Susan Fisk and Shelley Taylor. In 1984, they came up with this term, um, a cognitive miser, and it describes how humans seek the simplest and least effortful ways of thinking. Nuance and complexity is expensive. It takes up precious time and energy. So wherever possible, we try to cut corners. And this is why we have biases and prejudices, and this is why we form habits. So you're being a cognitive miser, which means you think it's too expensive to actually think thoughtfully. So you jump to a conclusion about an idea, a subject, maybe even a whole group of people right? That's how racism starts. It's cognitive misers who are thinking in dichotomist ways, right? This is very uh, philosophical and, and psychological this morning. I just want to say you're sounding very intelligent right now. <laughs> and he is very intelligent, folks. Oh, thank you. So think about this. You know, when we say, when we think, um, when we become cognitive misers and we start thinking dichotomously, this or that, black and white, nothing in between, we're saying, hey, I don't want to take the time to actually dive into this subject. I don't want to get to know that person or that idea. I want to lump them into the category of this or that or black and white. And it's really easy. Um, it's easy to default to this way of thinking because absolute beliefs, ab absolute thought processes, they're simple, they're easy to comprehend. But in all actuality, what this boils down to is very lazy thinking, right? And I used to pride myself on the fact that I thought in absolutes because it was like, hey, man, I stand for something and that's good. I'm all in on this subject. And you know what? Um, you should be proud. I used to think that I was decisive and smart, but this is actually what you would call willful ignorance and something that I, it took me a long time to realize that I was actually doing. And sometimes I still do this which is hard. I don't know if you can attest to this at all, but willful ignorance is is totally different than ignorance. Ignorance is just, you don't know what you don't know, right? right. And ignorance can be cured through knowledge. Mm -hmm. Willful ignorance cannot be cured because it's saying, hey, I don't know this, this, but this is my opinion on the subject and I'm going to go ahead and bury my head in the sand and shout loudly until your opinion goes away, right? And I think that might happen a lot of times with the Facebook rants. You know what we talked about? Facebook fanatics. <laughs> On Facebook fanatics, right? That's willful ignorance. Ignorance can always be cured with new information. Um, but uh, willful ignorance says, this is my opinion. I'm going to bury my head in the sand, scream and shout until you go away. I don't want anything challenging my opinion. And really, these are giving kind of what we would call false positives, and it gives us a sense of false security. So really, in our absolutism, it's actually very frail and fragile that's why we protect it so much by not allowing any type of new information. Because yeah. if you really knew and believed what you believed, then it doesn't matter if something opposing comes in. Mm -hmm. um, I think about this, you know, with your faith in Christ, that should be absolute. And we'll go into this in a little bit. Um, but um, you should be absolute in your faith that when something challenges it, it doesn't just dismantle and destroy your right. whole argument. Right. And but when we think in absolutes with these things in life, um, like I said, absolutes are very hard to prove and one exception really dismantles them. Um, so this is just really raw and fresh right now. I, I, I have a few notes on this, but we're just, I'm kind of shooting from the hip. It's raw, it's fresh. It's like a slice of halibut from the fisherman's wharf in San Francisco. Too close to lunch to be talking in those terms, <laughs> sir. I'm hungry. You ever been to the fisherman's wharf? Um, uh, well, I've been to a wharf yeah. in Florida. Fisherman's wharf in San Fran. Oh, is that where they toss? Yeah. 
Yeah, it's really fun. Uh, That's Seattle. They toss the fish. Well, they they toss fish everywhere. Every wharf. Every wharf. That was an absolute. I was the first one to pull it. (laughs) So, um, yeah, it's raw. It's fresh. I'm kind of shooting from the hip here. Hopefully, you're getting something out of it. So, um, so many times in life, I would make absolute statements about something only to have to eat my words or put my foot in my mouth later on because I realized I was wrong and it was really embarrassing. So I remember I look back at my Instagram feed from like 10 years ago and I would post uh, a picture of a band and I would say, best Christian rock band ever. If you disagree, fight me. (laughs) (laughs) There's a few things going on in there, man. That's an absolute statement. Um, and, you know, and then all of a sudden I found better uh, bands than that. And it dismant- I dismantled my own argument. And there were people who would come in with another opinion. And then I would um, lose influence with that person. Here's the other thing about making absolute statements is you ruin influence with other people. Because you can, a lot of times people who are absolutists, they make these statements unknowing like they just say them all the time and they don't realize that they're making these absolute statements in front of people that they may not even know and so i'll just give you like a really stupid example um you know uh, i will never eat sardines and anyone who eats sardines is disgusting right a new person comes along they might actually really enjoy sardines and you've completely shut the door of influence in that person's life because you've made an absolute statement based on limited information Early on in this discussion, I thought of marriage. Mm. And one of the things that I just recently got married is don't use absolutes. Right. You always right. throw your clothes on the floor. No, honey, I no, don't. You never do the dishes. Exactly. And can I just say this? Can we? I was going to make an absolute statement out of it. I, <laughs> it's I, hard. I'm feeling crippled by this knowledge right now. <laughs> but I was going to say. Are absolute statements pretty much always bad for relationships? We're not going to use an absolute statement, but they're yeah. not very good for relationships. Right. Yeah, it's even it's even hinders your relationship with God. That's why we're not supposed to make promises to God. God, I promise I will never do that again. Guess what? You're going to let him down. It's, it's, it's even bad for your relationship with him. It's good. Absolutes, man. They ruin influence and relationship. And so I was thinking about this. Um, you know, the sign of a mature adult, um, I wrote it down. I'll just actually just quote it from, from my own head. Um, okay, here it is. So being a mature adult means that it's okay to change your mind on something based on new information. That's okay. So you, you might have a certain opinion about something, more information about that subject comes out, and then you change your mind. That is okay. And it's actually way less embarrassing if you haven't formed an absolute about that thing. You know, you absolutely disagree with something and you post it all over Facebook and you shout it from the top of the mountains and everyone you encounter, you declare your absolute. And then all of a sudden more information comes out on that subject and you might want to change your mind. Well, it's a whole heck of a lot Mm. less embarrassing if you haven't formed those absolutes and told everyone under the sun. That's good. Right? And this is what happens with social media and news outlets right now. We like to jump, uh, you know, you hear something uh, that happens in the news and all of a sudden these outlets, they jump on a certain narrative with limited information. Can I go Walter Conkite? Yeah, go for it. I don't even know if this is how he sounded. You heard it here first. We want to be the first leaking person of that. So we will leak 
information, even though it's limited and biased, we'll still put it out there because we want to be the first. But what happens, you know, if you if you watch the end of any any news cycle, there's a segment at the end that's very short and it, they roll it across the screen very fast. But it's called the retraction retraction segment where they said a bunch of things that weren't necessarily accurate. So they have to retract those things. And it happens all around us. And I don't want that to happen in my own life. It's a very, very scary thing to make absolute statements based off of limited information. And it's okay to change your mind on a subject based on new information. Can I, I've just been acquiring thoughts as yeah. we've been doing this. Can it. I share for a little bit? Yes. I started off thinking, how did we get so attached to absolutes? Well, I do believe there is one absolute we need to hold to, which is our faith in God yes. and who God is. God is God. Yep. There is one way to heaven. Yes. Jesus. That is an absolute person and an absolute reality. Absolutely. But the way we experience those <laughs> things are not always absolute. No. Now, we have to hold to that absolute who he is yes. and Jesus' preeminency and the word of God. Those, But that beyond that, we have to kind of take that absolutism away. And I think another reason we hold to absolutism is because we have a hard time with uncertainty mm. and it really rubs our emotions the wrong way. We experience fear. Mm -hmm. We don't feel safe. We don't have that, what we talked about in a previous podcast about that rooted and grounded nature of love. So we experience that in an artificial way mm -hmm. with absolutism. Absolutely. Because if we can build a house of it doesn't do this, it always does this, we feel safe within there, but right. we're actually not safe because we're without relationship with others mm. and God. That's good. Yeah. And when we form absolutes, we're really controlling the narrative because we say, I understand black and I understand white, but I don't understand gray. So I'm going to, I'm going to disassociate with gray. Mm. And I'm going to not include it in the house I'm building. And it makes me feel secure. But in all reality, gray is there, right? The right. in-between is there. And we have to deal with I referenced this back a little bit beforehand, but that's how like racism gets started because you don't understand a certain group of people and you lump them into mm. either this or that. And there's a whole group of people that are in the in-between. And if you just took the time to acknowledge mm. and get to know that person or that idea, that subject, that opinion, you would realize that there is complexity, there is nuance, and you yeah. can't deal with absolutes. And even in the Bible, we see people trying to lay hold of absolutes. Mm -hmm. And I believe the law mindset is an absolute mindset. Right. It's black or white. It's this or that. And the Bible says this: the letter, looking at yeah. it in that frame set, kills, kills destroys relationship. Mm -hmm. But the Spirit gives life. Yes. So we see Peter going to Jesus and saying, tell me how many times I need right. to forgive. That's an absolute. Put an absolute on there. If yep. I get to this number, I'm done. And Jesus was breaking down those things and connecting us in faith to the heart of the matter and pulling us mm -hmm. out of that fear. Yeah, that's so good. And I would say this, that your viewpoint will change depending on the season of life you're in. Absolutely. Uh and I'll give you an absolute that I, it was the hill I was going to die on a few years ago before I was married. And I said, I will never get a minivan. <laughs> Tell me what I'm driving today. Well, what my, I have as a family vehicle. He just got a really nice minivan. I got a minivan. The, the hill that he was willing to die on, he now he drives drive his family around it. <laughs> that hill turned into a, a van and now I'm driving it. So I had a very limited 
viewpoint. That opinion was formed out of the mind of a single man who had insecurities about being what a man, what about what really being a man fear. was. Yeah, fear. It was based out of fear. And so I was more concerned with the reputation behind the minivan than the overwhelming practicality of the minivan. I have it now. See, my I, I entered into a new season of life. I have a new viewpoint, a new vantage point, a new perspective. Therefore, my opinion on that matter has changed. But I had to go up to a handful of people who gave me such a hard time when I got that minivan. I thought you said you'd never get a minivan. Wow, so much for that. So much for standing on, you know, on that hill. Right. And I had to apologize to a, a certain amount of people. And really, that's kind of something that doesn't have a whole lot of consequences in life. But it's, again, spirit of law, letter of the law. It's something that I'm really working on, because if I can't control making these absolutes about the insignificant things, how much more am I going to subconsciously form absolutes about things that really matter? Right. So, um, again, making absolute statements based off of limited information is a dangerous practice. Uh, so let's get in. I'm going to flip the script a little bit unless you have something to say. Um, this might be better at the end, but I feel like I have an idea of what a great alternative to absolutism Go for is. It. You want me to do it now? Yeah, why not? Okay. So I'm thinking about, we obviously struggle with absolute statements and we're dealing with that. What is a great alternative? And again, I heard this from my pastor. I don't think he was even trying to communicate this in this vein, but we learned about uh, Craig Rochelle. And his life church model. And he said that when he first started doing uh, satellite campuses and streaming and other places and watching on TV, pastors went to him and said, I would never do that. That's terrible. I can't believe that. Right. That's wrong. Then came along 2020 when they couldn't meet in a building. And some of those very same people who made an absolute statement that they would never have their church right. perform like that went to Craig Grishel and Craig Grishel out of the love of God in his heart, gave him, them the platform mm. for free and taught wow. them how to do what they said once was wrong and that they would never do. And pastor Mark said that when he saw that popping up and saw people doing that, instead of saying that he would never do it or that was wrong, he just said, I don't understand that. Mm. And it's okay to right. say, we don't understand something at this point. And sometimes when there's something beyond our box of our absolute statements, it's okay to not have an opinion on everything right. and say, I don't understand that. Not sure about it because there probably is more information and it puts you in a spot where you can receive more because Absolutely. if you yeah. go humbly before God and say, I don't understand this, he gives grace to the mm. humble. I keep saying absolutely. <laughs> Again, we're working. No, that was good. That reminds works. me of something else I was going to say about why absolutes are um, uh, detrimental. Um, you know, we went through a book um, called "Everything Counts" by what's his name, Gary Blair. Um, Blair was his last name. Yeah, not the old uh, Prime Minister of England, Tony Blair. <laughs> which I don't know why I know that. Um, <laughs> But he had a, it's everything counts. So it's just 52 chapters on things that really matter in life. And one of the chapters was called lifelong learning counts. And cause he said information expires because things are always developing and new. And if you are so used to doing something in the old way, you're going to be left behind because things are always changing. And just being a, a lifelong student is so important um, because you don't know everything. And again, like I said, you can change your mind on something based on new information. 
But an absolutist, what do they do? They bury their head in, their, in the sand and they refuse to learn. They're not going to be a lifelong student. And things are changing rapidly. And you need to be a lifelong student in order to um, have a proper perspective for the season of life that you're in. What is it? Modern problems require modern day solutions. Um, it might be kind of a cliche term, but it's actually very, very true. Right. And I just think about what you were talking about with Craig Rochelle and just even what we experienced in this in our own church. Um, you know, there was a lot of churches that refused to go the live stream route. And they said, like, we're not going to do that. This is how we've always done it. This is what we believe. They're making absolute statements. And then what happened? COVID hit. And then there was thousands if you know, thousands of churches who were dead in the water, who lost their influence because they would not adapt to the technology at the time and get on the live stream bandwagon and it hurt their influence as a church. Shouldn't say live stream bandwagon. It's not a bandwagon, but you got to be a lifelong student. You got to continually learn. So uh, let me flip the script a little bit. We're talking about why you shouldn't live life by absolutes, but I want to talk about, there are a few absolutes and you touched on this briefly um, that are very important to live by because um, there are absolutes. There is absolute truth. There's absolute morality, and it's very important to understand this. So if there was no such thing as absolute truth, then there is nothing really ultimately right or wrong about anything. So what might be right for you is not necessarily right for me, and what's right for me and vice versa might be wrong for you. So while on the surface this type of relativism seems to be kind of appealing, what it means is that everybody has their own set of rules to live by. And what and what and they do what they think is right. And inevitably, this is what happens. Things start to overlap. My sense of what is right will soon clash with another person's sense of what is right. And, you know, a good example of this is say, hey, it might be right for me to um, drive through red lights. <laughs> right. <laughs> Until I crash into you. Right. See, then we have a problem. It might be right for me to ignore those traffic lights until you know, I crash into you. I'm putting lives at risk. So, or I might think it's right to steal from you when you might not think it's right. So our standards of right and wrong are now in conflict, right? And we have this idea, it's called situational ethics, where, and it's kind of this theory of relativism that's kind of been floating around, but situational ethics says there's really no absolute standard of right and wrong. It's what's right and wrong according to the situation that you're in. And there's a big problem with that as well. Um, um, so basically what I'm trying to say here is that there is an absolute truth and absolute standard of morality that we need to adhere to. And that's set by God, because again, we have those conflicts because if everybody's deciding their own rules, um, then it's absolute chaos. And I believe most Christians would agree with us on situational morality, not being a way that we should govern our own life or govern culture. But I think where we really struggle with absolutism and uh, latching onto it and holding tight to it as if it's something we need is when we know that morality is not situational and we see that people, so let's just use the ready, running red lights. Mm -hmm. We agree that's wrong. Joe's dad runs a red light, gets hit and lives. Steve's dad runs a red light and dies. Mm. So we go, what in the world? Like this should have like white, there's black and white, right and wrong. That was wrong to do. This person lives this. And we struggle with that uncertainty. Mm. So we build our own absolutism mm. to 
feel constant. And in that, I believe we have to hold to the constancy of God that should bring us through the unconstant nature of life. Mm. Um, God is certain, but how God is a perfect person and perfect morality is played out in an imperfect world is extremely uncertain. And the only thing that can hold us through that is not our absolute formations that are outside of that. It's the absolute nature of God. That's so good. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) I keep saying that. Well, I I, look at you. I said the only thing. Yeah, the only thing. That wasn't absolute, but it's a good one. Oh, okay. Ding. Ding. (laughs) So, yeah, I was just thinking, I remember listening to a philosopher um, and he was talking about just being on an airplane. And he said, you know, what they say is you go into the lavatory and it says, do not do not disassemble, dismantle, break, you know, the fire, the smoke alarm. And there's a bunch of bunch of terms. And why why couldn't they just say, hey, don't mess with the smoke alarm? Because everybody's idea of what messing with the smoke alarm is, is different. So it's like, I didn't break it. All I did was take the battery out. Right. I didn't dismantle it. All I did was cover it with my hand. So they have to say all this stuff to cover everybody's idea of what's moral. So that's the problem. That's why we have so many laws right now. And we got laws and sub laws and section B slash C. And we've got so much junk factored into our system of laws because everybody's idea of right and wrong is different. And we've got to cover all the bases and it just causes mass confusion. Very well said. It's just, look, but there is an absolute standard of morality and right and wrong. And actually the Bible says that it's been written upon our hearts Mm. that we know inherently what's right and wrong. But when we allow, uh, well, we live in a fallen world and the enemy gets in and, and people, uh, uh, get deceived and they start thinking in different ways. And it's all what we always have to just go back to the absolute standard of morality, which is what God has established through his word. And we got to go on that. And people who, who love situational ethics and who want to just have everything be relative, really what they're saying is I don't want to be accountable, Mm. right? They don't want to be accountable for their actions. If there is an absolute truth, then there are absolute standards of right and wrong, and we are accountable to those standards. So this accountability is what people really are rejecting when they reject the idea of absolute truth. They're rejecting the idea of being accountable for something. Mm. That's true. And we're called to be accountable. That's true, we are. It's, it's, It's the sign of a mature believer. Someone who can be accountable. And accountability always precedes results. And if we want to mm-hmm. live a life full of results, we have to be accountable to something. Mm. And that's my thoughts on reversing absolutes. That's awesome. Can you boil it down to one wisdom of the day? One wisdom of the day. Hmm. Let's see. Um. I'll start off. Okay, you start off. Um, just based off what you were saying, I really liked what you said that different seasons of life reveal new information to yeah. you and you can go back on some of the absolute statements. So moving into what I was thinking of, and I've hopefully the Lord is working on me as we were talking about this, is that an alternative is just being okay with not understanding and even mm-hmm. communicating that. We get so insecure, which is another sign of fear that we don't want to say we don't understand something, but not understanding is an okay alternative to many subjects in life that the Holy Spirit can work on and actually grow us in. So, yeah, 
Absolutely. I would say, <laughs> gotta stop saying that. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. I like the statement of, of just saying that when you make an absolute, you destroy relationship. Yeah, and that was good. Influence. Uh, but we, you know, we have a two-sided coin here because I talked about how living life by absolutes is really detrimental, but you do need to live life by certain absolutes. And that would be absolute truth, um, which is founded in God um, and his absolute system of morality. Those are things that you can take to the bank mm -hmm. and know that they're true. The certainty and constancy of God is what we hold on yeah. to in the uncertainty and inconsistent nature of life. That was a great way to put it. You just I can't do it again. Don't you, ask me to do uh, it. It's okay. You put a nice big bow on that whole podcast with that statement. And the time has come, so we're giving you that bow, folks. Yeah. And the package that goes along with it. <laughs> That's it. You want to pray? Yes. Father God, thank you so much for being you. You are constant. You are consistent. And when we don't understand, we get to choose you. So Father God, in humility and the love of God, where we have insecurities and we're not mature and we haven't been built up in who you are and we don't understand everything, Father God, let us hold fast to you and not our fabrications of absolutism. Uh, we look to grow with you. And we're going to continue to sow and grow. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining us this week. And we know that you always listen and love what we have to say. Oh, just, <laughs> that's <an laughs> not what he did there. Uh, no, we, we hope that you're enjoying it and we hope that you continue to listen next week. Leave us a review and yeah. rate this podcast if you haven't already. Yeah. Don't be like me. I tend to not subscribe to podcasts um, just because I, I have no idea why. But I would love for you to not be like me. Go ahead and subscribe and leave a review. And I would love for you to join us next week on the <laughs> Sewing and Growing podcast. Oh, man.